Check, check. <clears throat> Not used to having the mic handed to me, and so I'm used to getting it up here. So anyway, how's everybody doing? That was amazing worship. Give the worship team a hand. Come on. Could have just soaked in that. I didn't get to it last night, but I got my beautiful daughter, Maya, with me over here. Just wave, Maya. Just say hi. We had a few less claps for her, so I want you to clap again for her. There's Maya. <laughs> I've got three beautiful daughters, 19, 15, and 8. And so uh, just love it. And uh, yeah, so I just so blessed with my girls. And I love, I feel family here. So I always love bringing one of my kids or my family or my wife when I come here. I just really enjoy being with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hosea 10. Hosea 10, I'm going to be looking at verse 12 for our guy. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James. Um, I do want to encourage you. I, I guess we got a few out there. I've written five books and I mostly care about helping Christians, helping believers deepen their life in prayer, the knowledge of God, intimacy with the Holy Spirit and cultivating a life of prayer and going deeper in God. And uh, something new that we did this year, um, I have a uh, I, and we have some of these things out there on the table or we should or maybe you took them. I started I did an online class on intercession this year. And so there's like 16, uh, seven to 10 minute, uh, sessions and there's ways to engage where I, I walk through, uh, the ministry of intercession from Genesis to revelation. We got little cards out there that help you, um, kind of get it's, it's, it's online. Everything is online. So you would do it that way. I'm still learning all that myself, but anyway, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I'm very excited because I've just, I turned 42 next month and I'm crossing over into reading glasses world and I'm just leaning right into it. And so, uh, really excited about this transition. So we'll just share that with you. And so, uh, my kids are like saying, what are you doing? Cause I just walk around and try to be as dorky as I can with them. They don't know what to do with me. So anyway, I was at our one thing conference a few weeks ago and amen. I'll be honest with you, okay? I can share this stuff now. So we had about 20,000 come, and I'm doing the first session, and I'm up there trying to read the verses. <laughs> I, I didn't have no glasses. I was just left to myself, and I was just doing it. God, hopefully I remember these verses. <laughs> so I'm doing this, and I couldn't see. But anyway, Lord, help me in that tough season. All right, good. <laughs> All right, good. All right, let's look at this verse in Hosea 10, verse 12. Hosea 10, verse 12. This is kind of a historical revival verse. And, uh, you know, I like this. Like, I don't even need my glasses for that. But um, the prophet says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. And he uses this phrase, break up your fallow ground, for it is time. Everybody say it's time. He says, it is time to seek the Lord till, everybody say till, he comes and rains righteousness on you. Okay, I want to read that again. Just go back. We're just going to look at that verse. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. 
And this is one of the handful of encouraging verses. There's not many. I mean, there's some good ones in later part of Hosea. But in the middle of an hour of judgment, the prophet Hosea drops this verse. And it is one of, it's been one of the most historical uh, revival verses that has been used by God to stir up the people of God in seeking him. And, and, and I just want to look at this. Why am I sharing this? Well, several reasons. One, it's just a really good verse. But number two, I had a dream on our anniversary at IHOP, uh, September 19th. I only dream about four times a year. So if I have one, I'm going to preach on it. <laughs> Some of you dream four times a night. I dream about four times a year. And I was literally uh, preaching that verse to a crowd of people. And I knew that the Holy Spirit was calling me, Corey, come after this verse because I want to unpack things for you in it. The things that stick out to me when I look at this verse are three real- are a couple of realities. One of them being that God calls us to do three things while he'll do one thing. He calls us to sow. He calls us to break up and he calls us to seek the Lord and then God will do his part. He will come and rain righteousness on you. So many believers want everything that God has without investing in faith and doing their part in the partnership with God. I call it this way, and I, we need to understand this. God doesn't dance with mannequins. First off, that's a weird image. <laughs> Seeing some of you at Dillard's just dancing with, you know, that lady in red or something. Most of us says, God, you do all the work. I just want to be led by you. And God says, "Huh? I want you to make decisions in your secret life. I want you to make choices when nobody else is watching. I want you to turn off that show that excites lust in you. I want you to shut it off. I want you to see the element of sowing for yourself righteousness, which means there's an act of faith before you ever see anything. Before you ever hear anything, before there's ever a crop that's come forth, there's an element of faith of sowing for yourself righteousness. And so many believers want God to do everything. And God says, I don't dance with mannequins. You make choices and I'll honor those choices. You make decisions and I will honor those decisions. I will not make them for you, but I will move based on your acts of faith in the secret place. It says, sow for yourself righteousness. Reap in mercy. And then this phrase, and, and if there's any phrase that I believe God wants us to get around, He uses the phrase, break up. Everybody say, break up. Break now say, your fallow ground. Now this is such a vivid picture. Israel such a farming community. And Hosea is going to use the imagery that in the same way that a farmer has to come and that you cannot sow new seed on fallow ground. And what that fallow ground is, it's the hardened ground. It's the weathered ground, the ground that was useful in a previous season, but has now gotten weathered and it served its purpose for the last season. But to be useful in the next season, it needs a fresh tilling up of the fallow ground so that the ground underneath it would be, uh, would be pliable and be ready for the seed that would be sown in the next season. And Hosea calls us saying, you need to break up your fallow ground. 
Because the state and the subtle nature of the human heart is that many of us will live in the memory of what we were walking in a season ago. And you will become used to what you used to walk into. And through time and through process, we'll get hard. We'll get, uh, uh, we'll get, uh, just stale. And you need a fresh breaking up of that ground to receive the next season's seed to move in. And he calls us to break up our fallow ground. How do we do that? I believe it's constantly recalibrating ourselves with our original vows. Recalibrating ourselves saying, God, I want you to be my one thing. I don't want you to be second thing. I don't want you to be third thing. God, I want a fresh spirit in God. I want a fresh spirit when I read the word of God. I want tears when I read it. I want the spirit of revelation to touch me when I read the Bible. I want phrases to jump off the pages. I want the still small voice to get louder and clearer. I want to be lean in my spirit. I want to be pliable in my spirit. I want to be broken. I want that breaking up. And what God's been doing over these last several months, He's been highlighting this, is that I believe that God's knocking down the walls on the inside because we're moving into something glorious. He says, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. It is time, January 12th, 2019. Today is the day to shift your life in seeking Him in ways you have never sought Him. Seeking Him in an intentional way. Seeking Him in a focused way. Going after Him in a focused way. And you need to find out what that looks like between you and God. For me, that means i got to go to bed by 10 so I can wake up at 5 and 5.30. For me, it looks like saying no to certain things in that the fact that it would steal from my life of prayer. For me, it means saying no to lunches on days that I've set apart for fasting. For me, that means staying away from shows and movies that feed adultery, fornication, gossip, jealousy, envy. And i got to be intentional about it because I'm, I'm aware of the subtle nature of the heart to get hard in the process. I'm aware of my own heart and I live in the midst of a culture that if I don't declare war on the culture, the, war, the, the world and the culture will slowly declare war and suddenly, what used to be fire solely gets colder and colder and colder, and I lose discernment. And I lose the ability to feel. And I lose the ability to move with what God's saying and doing. There's an old, uh, uh, there's an old book called Way of the Heart, and it talks about the desert fathers in the third and the fourth century, and how they would retreat to the desert of uh, Egypt. And you have some like, Anthony and some really serious dudes that did some amazing stuff and some mothers. But this phrase that sticks out to me from this book, it says that when the world stopped persecuting the church, 
it says that there were men and women that stood up and began to declare war on the spirit of the culture. You hear what I'm saying? We live in such a stuffed, gluttonized, oversaturated, materialistic, hedonistic, humanistic, atheistic culture. And it doesn't mean we retreat to the woods. It, that's easy. That's easy to go out there and live on wood. Well, it's like, that's not easy, but I... But that's easy to go distance yourself from the culture. The real reality is who can walk as lights and shine in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. Who can live with an inner fire as you walk through your high schools. As you walk through your high schools and everyone's caught up into whatever. And you said, I am feeding on food that you know not of. I get my identity from my father. I know who I am in God. And when I hear his voice, I'm set on fire. And that answers a thousand other things, the things that you're looking for. That is the real call. Can we get delivered from the seduction? Can we get delivered from the subtle seduction of a culture that says the more you have, the happier you are. The more comfort you have, the better you are. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you're poor, mourning, hungry, pure in heart. I thought blessed are the ones who have the most stuff in their hearts. That because blessed are you if you're single in your focus. For you will see God. And so that breaking up of the fallow ground. First off, you need to understand. We live in the midst of a culture that's constantly trying to subtly draw our affection and our attention away. And this stuff will not happen on accident. If you want to grow in God, it will not happen on accident. And I want to tell you something right now. I want more than fire insurance of not going to hell. And I want more than a little bumper sticker saying, I got the Holy Ghost. And I prayed in tongues. And I'm radical. I care less about that religious stuff. I want fire. I want fresh fire. I want the Word of God to abound in me. I want righteousness to flow in me. God, I want sensitivity to your voice. I want sensitivity, God. I want to hear you. I want to feel for you. I want to plead, God. And Hosea calls us to break up our fallow ground. It is time. There are seasons, I believe, there are kairos seasons. There is normally just the process of time. There's normal time. Life just goes on. There are seasons where you don't feel anything. Seasons where you plow faithfully. But I believe that there are kairos appointed seasons to where when you step through that door, it will change the trajectory of your life. There are moments in time that you step through it. And when he says it is time to seek the Lord. Till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And I've been asking the Lord saying, God, what are ways that we can break up our fallow ground? How can we break up the fallow ground of our hearts? How can we cooperate with the spirit of grace? Jesus. And he told me, Corey, it's tears, tongues, and travail. Tears will tenderize your heart. 
Tongues will till the soil of your heart. And travail will tear your heart. Tears, tongues, and travail is coming to the church. I want to just declare that to you right now. I'm declaring that to you prophetically. We are entering into an hour of prayer on the other side of words. There is coming forth a prayer movement on the other side of words. We're all go- always going to say words, but it's going to be backed up. Phrases and utterances that are backed up with realities of brokenness and desperation. Saying, God, I need you. And that's what gives language to our voice. I've been saying this since September. I believe that God is releasing the gift of tears upon the body of Christ. The gift of tears. It's not emotionalism. I'm not talking about creating optimum environments in church settings where we cry more. I care less about emotionalism. I'm talking about a work of God in the soul when you come to your breaking point. And when you, when God gets you to your breaking point, that's when prayer is born. When God gets you to your breaking point, that's when prayer is born. When you run out of words, that's when tears start flowing. When you run out of the nice catchphrases and Jesus, I trust you. And he gets to your core of saying, God, I need you and I want you to break in. That's when tears start flowing. And that's revival praying. Jesus. Good, good, good. You go ahead and look with me in John 11. I'm going to preach on this some tomorrow, but I I, I want to just look at this story. This is what I hit on at our one thing conference. I believe that God is taking us from plastic praying into gut level praying. And what happens when the promises of God are not happening on the timetable you thought they would happen? What happens when God isn't breaking in on your timetable and the thing that you thought would have been settled a long time ago, Jesus is late to the party? Or so you think is late. What do you do in the gap? What do you do in the delay? Because I believe that the delay of the promises of God will bring forth two types of Christians. Ones that distance their heart but have good language. And others that will live in the tension and begin to feel it. And begin to wrestle through the tension of what God said. Of what God said and what's reality. And when you don't bail yourself out with a nice catchphrase, but you live in the tension. And I believe this has the, this has the potential to deliver the church into a new place. I'll highlight this tomorrow, but I just want to say it tonight because I believe he's releasing the gift of tears. And the gift is this. It's the realization and, the, and it's, the, it's when God brings you to your breaking point. <laughs> I love it. We know it. It's the story of Lazarus that's dying. Jesus, Mary and Martha will send a letter to Jesus saying, He whom you love is sick. Then, then John 11 verse 4, when Jesus heard that, 
Go ahead and let's put that up there. John 11 verse 4. Here it is. When Jesus heard that, I love this. He gets news that he whom he loves is sick. So Lazarus is dying. So the automatic and natural next verse would say, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. That the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay? Jesus tells us from the very beginning, this is going to end in life. It's not going to end in death. And I'm going to get glory through this. And then he says this. He would go to the next verse. And then he says, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So the natural next verse would be, so he translated to Bethany and he healed him quickly. Wouldn't that, wouldn't you think that would be the natural verse? It says he loved them. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. These are the ones he loves. These are the ones, these are his intimate friends and his friend is dying. And Jesus says, I think this is a good time to stay. Now you have a dilemma. Now you have a crisis is that Jesus isn't immediately showing up when it's inevitable that what your greatest promise and greatest need is about to die. And what do you do in that tension when he stays? That's the core issue. And what comes out of the heart when the promise isn't happening on the timetable? You thought. I'll tell you that furnace right there will bring up so many things in the human heart. And I have seen over 20 years, just a little bit, many of you are walking longer. But in my little bit of experience, I watch when that happens, the slow, subtle distancing of the heart and settling for a domesticated form of Christianity that begins to guard its heart, yet have the right language. And you can't tell it from the outside. You can't even tell it by church attendance. You can't tell it by all the outside. But they've begun to guard their heart because of different things. Next verse. <clears throat> then they said, let's go to Judea. He said, no, let's not. How about you skip down to verse 17? <laughs> I'll just speed that up for you. <laughs> so finally, Jesus comes. They have a big talk where Jesus is saying he's sleeping. And the disciples said, well, why don't you let him sleep? <laughs> so he can get better. And Jesus just looked him in the face. And I'm going to put Corey's rendition on this. You guys are pretty dull. Lazarus is dead. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Finally, Jesus shows up four days. Okay. Look at verse 20. Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But here's Mary again, sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Keep rolling with me. Keep rolling with me. Martha said to her, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. He looked at her and he said, honey, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Huh, that's the core issue. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, 
I believe, the, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. Yeah, just hold that right there. See, I think Martha runs out there immediately. And she's going to say a phrase that both of the girls pray. And it's this. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you would have broke in on time, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. But I believe it's the same phrase spoken from two different heart postures. And they're going to provoke two different responses in Jesus. Martha's is, Lord, if you would have gotten here when the email got to you, we would have never been in this situation. And he, she says all the right phrases. I want you to notice. You can read this on your own. Martha will have all the right phrases. I know. I know. I believe. I know that you can ask God whatever he wants and he'll give it to you. Which means this. I want you to ask God. And Jesus says, honey, I don't want you to ask me to ask God. I want to pull you into this wrestle. And I want you to ask him. Jesus looks right at her and says, your brother will rise again. And then she has right theology. I know he will at the resurrection at the last day. That's good theology. You understand the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus said, honey, it's not just coming, it's here. See, that, that's the reality of knowing when it is time to seek the Lord. There are times to where you are called to pull that which is coming into now. Where you pull one day into today. And there are moments of faith where you break through the veil of nice Christianese. And you pull on something in his heart. You pull it out of him. Do you believe that your prayers can touch Jesus this way? She says, I know he can. I believe in the resurrection. He goes, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. And I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of a sudden, Martha hits a wall. Which means, all we're doing is talking theology. I'm not getting anywhere. Now look at this. I love this. Martha hits a wall. And when she had said these things, she went her way. And she secretly called Mary, her sister. I love this. Saying, the teacher has come. And is calling for you. I'm not going to be able to get us out of this mess. He's looking for you. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. But it's because I believe Mary learned to sit at his feet. And hear his word. That she learned to wait on God. Waiting on God. It's one of the greatest prophetic words to the church in this hour. We need a restoration of priestly waiting. Of ministry to God. Not even for what He gives, but being with Him. And letting His word go to your deep. Jesus never, we don't ever see Jesus saying, hey, go get Mary. I think Martha looked in his eyes and says, uh-uh, I'm not going to be able to get us out of this. And she went and she says, he's looking for you. Now get a hold of this. As soon as she heard that, she ran and she went out to him. She was in the very place that Martha met him. Now skip down to verse 32. Oh my goodness. Then when Mary came where Jesus was. She saw him, and I want you to see this. She fell down at his feet 
And she's going to say the same prayer that Martha said. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same prayer. Prayed from two different people from two different postures. And they're going to provoke two different responses. Look at verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, oh my goodness, he groaned in the spirit. Somebody says, hey, what do you want to do with your life? I want to awaken a groan in God. I want to awaken a groan in God in my life. He says he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then we will see the shortest verse of the Bible. Now just stop. Keep that up there for a second. I'll tell you what I believe happened right here. Mary sat long enough for his words to go to her deep. That in the hour of crisis, her deep called out to his deep and she pulled a resurrection out of him. And she provoked a storm in the son of God. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and he loved Mary. But I don't believe Martha ever got delivered from frenzied busyness in the kingdom. And in the hour of crisis, Mary didn't have the answers. She didn't have all of her theological statements of, I know, I know, I believe. That's all good. I believe in the confession. I believe in declaration. But there's a place on the other side of it to where there's a, God, you said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd have been here, my marriage wouldn't have died. If you'd have been here, my son wouldn't have ran off into the world. If you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, and you enter into a place of prayer on the other side of words. And in the middle of about ten groups, you've got skeptics, critics, religious, disciples, friends, Mary, Martha. A storm comes out of the Son of God. Jesus wept. That is the longest verse in the Bible right there. That is the longest verse in the Bible. Think about the vulnerability of God to weep. For years, I thought it was a tear, a sniffle. Uh, I didn't mean for that thing to get out. But over the last about six months, I began to see it as a storm. I don't know if it was 30 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour. But that verse happened. And he wept and he wept. There were tears of compassion. Tears of love. Tears of of pain. Tears of hatred, of death. Tears. Tears of great compassion. Tears of great sorrow. Tears because the ones that he loved were in pain. Tears of righteous anger. Tears of judgment that he will release on death. It was a storm that comes out of him. And then he will move from this 30 minute heaving into beginning to move to the tomb and says, it's time for him to come out. I believe with all my heart in 2019, 
He's going to bring us to a place of prayer that's going to begin to release resurrection power in places that have been dead for a long time. I believe that with all my heart. Because you're going to find out what Martha really believes here in a second. Go to the next verse. It says this. Jesus said, see how they loved him. Everybody's got their commentary. Next verse. If he'd have been here earlier, why didn't he open up the eyes? Critics. Unbelief. Next verse. Jesus again. My goodness. Groaning in himself. Came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Next verse. It says, take away the stone. And Martha, here's where Martha's faith and confessions come to the surface. Lord, he's going to stink. There's Martha's faith. Ten verses ago, she had right language. But now she says, stop it, Jesus. This is offensive. This is going to stink and this is weird. And Jesus looked right at her. He goes, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? That if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. He goes, didn't I ask you, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe it. He goes, no, you don't. And what I love is that Jesus defined faith as not having the answers. Weeping and feeling the tension. Martha was like, fix it, fix it, fix it. And Jesus was like, feel it, feel it, feel it. I believe that the gift of tears are coming to the church in this hour to help us get into a place of prayer that we've been longing for. Thank you, Holy Spirit. These tears are going to tenderize our hearts. They're going to make our hearts moldable for the coming of His Word. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about a place where your soul really reaches out to God. I got so wrapped up in the gift of tears. I found 25 aspects of the gift of tears in the Word of God. There's probably a hundred. I remember in 2002 when God gripped my life with Jeremiah, the man who got caught up in the heart of the weeping God. He wasn't a weeping prophet. He was a man that touched the fact that God weeps. And God needed someone to cry through. Because God cries. God cries. He's not a stoic. He's not indifferent. He's not some stoic being at a distance. He's the God who feels. He's the God who weeps. He's the God who's connected. Engaged. How? Oh. Strongholds are breaking. But I believe that the, I, I feel like he's bringing us into this weeping room to release something powerful in this coming season. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Hallelujah. I want you to know that he stores your tears in bottles. Psalm 56. Hallelujah. I was sharing this today with Jason. In 2011, this started for us. It's always been a life message, but in 2011, and this is why I was hitting the issue of witchcraft last night. 
2011, me and my friend Alan Hood were in Fredericksburg, Virginia. We had gotten in late for a conference, and we were in the hotel praying together and feeling an increased season of warfare. We were praying, confessing, just being with each other in the night. And we were weeping together. And we go to bed, and he, he prayed a prayer before we left. God, speak to me tonight. He goes to bed and has a dream that night, and he saw... Uh, uh, he saw an article that he had written in ministry today on the book of Joel and the call of prayer, fasting and repentance. And he saw the article and then he saw comment boxes underneath the article and they were witches and warlocks that were cursing leaders, their marriages, their families. And he was seeing the comments and he clicked on one of the boxes and he goes into the box and he encounters this warlock. Guy has a python around him. Pornography is everywhere. And the dude's cursing him. And Alan hears a voice behind him. Alan, it's witchcraft. The next scene, Alan's like thinking, I never thought of like a real person. I thought it was some ethereal, weird something out there. Next scene, it's thousands of young people. The harvest field. And me and Bob Jones, who is a prophetic father and of the prophetic movement, Embrace one another and we begin to declare a phrase out of Psalm 126. And if you can put Psalm 126 up there, I want you to see this. It's, and we begin to declare the phrase, the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. Well, he wakes up. He comes and gets me out of my, my room. We go and see, he goes, I got to tell you this dream I had over breakfast. He's sitting there telling me the dream over breakfast and some woman comes and taps him on the shoulder while he's telling me the, the dream. And he said, are you Alan Hood? And he goes, yes, ma'am. She goes, hi, my name's Bonnie Jones and me and my husband, Bob, would like to have breakfast with you too. We had never met Bob before. His prophetic words established what is happening day and night in Kansas City. They are the integral foundational words that established. We had never met him. We had only heard stories. So I knew I had to go have a quiet time with Jesus. And then change my underwear because I just peed on myself. <laughs> and we come back and we sat down with him. And if you're ever around a weird prophetic person for the first hour and a half, we didn't understand a word he said. But when you're around those kind of people, you just sit there and nod like you got. Yeah, that's good. I've never thought of that. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, because he's just talking to you about things he's seeing in the spirit. And it's like it's fact to everybody else. It's like you're in the twilight zone. And he's sitting there and he's talking for an hour and a half and we're just nodding deep. And then he gets and he looks at us. He goes, yeah, you boys been preaching Joel. He goes, I see witchcrafts come against you. And he looked at me. He goes, I see python marks in your neck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he goes, witchcrafts come against you because you've been preaching on Joel. On repentance and prayer and fasting and calling the church back to gathering and prayer and fasting. He says, witchcrafts come against you. But then he looked at it, He goes, but you boys will be okay. <laughs> he goes, your ministries are fine. And Alan looked at him in the middle of that. I mean, little did I know that I would hang on to that phrase over the next seven years as my lifeline. You boys will be okay. In some of my darkest nights over the last six or seven years, I could just hear Bob Jones saying, you boys are going to be okay. Your ministries are fine. 
Well, Alan stops him and says, Bob, would you pray for us? Would you break this off of us? <laughs> and Bob looked at I ain't going to do that religious thing. <laughs> he goes, what do you think I've been doing for the last two hours? He said, talking? I don't know. <laughs> and he said, you've been weeping, haven't you? And we go, yeah, we've been weeping. He says, you see, witchcraft, what it does is it gets in your eyes. And what it does is it clouds your perspective about the last season to make you think you've never done anything for God. And then it makes you lose hope in future seasons as if you'll never do anything in God. And witchcraft gets in the eyes and it clouds your perspective. He says, but weeping, weeping gets the witchcraft out of your eyes. And then he looked at us and he said, boys, you'll be fine. Just keep weeping. Just keep weeping. Just keep weeping. We've been weeping for seven years. And I believe that we're moving over from it. Into Psalm 126. I believe Psalm 126 is coming to the church. Go, go, go to verse 1 of Psalm 126. I want you to see this. Some of you are going to start praying this this year. When the Lord brought back the captivity. Captives being brought home. Captives. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. We were like those who dreamed. And then we said. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Get your seatbelt on. Those who sow, here's that farming language, sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Oh. The greatest reapers are the greatest weepers. We're going to see a harvest come forth. Those who sow in tears shall reap. Sowing. Which means this. Tears are sowing something. Tears are prophesying a new season. Tears have prayers and words wrapped in them. Tears have language. Blood has language. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. I can hear his blood crying out from the ground. Blood has a voice. Jesus' blood cries out before the mercy seat. And tears have a voice. Tears have a voice. Hallelujah. And He's delivering the church from the spirit of religion. Until we pray again. Where we get heat back on our prayers. We get faith that doesn't have all the answers. All our nice little Christian t-shirts and Bumper stickers and nice little Christianese. I'm just trusting him. No, it's called glorified unbelief.
where you throw yourself in the tension between what God said about your younger brother and where he's currently at. What God said about your parents and where they're currently at. And you said, huh, on God. You said. That's the dangerous place that we're going to have to break through. And he's going to release heat to our prayers once again. To break through plasticity in the church. To break through religiosity in the church. To where we get tears back in our eyes. We get faith back in our hearts. I'm not even looking for something to start tonight. He'll hit you in the least amount of places. He knows your address. He'll hit you when you least expect it. And a dam will break on the inside of you. It's a work of the grace of God. When God starts praying through you. Romans 8. We don't know how to pray as we ought. We're weak. We don't even know how to pray. But God helps us. He helps us in our weaknesses. How does He help us? He helps us by coming alongside of us and pushing us through into the will of God. Praying us through into the will of God. And it's not pretty. It's ugly. When's the last time you ugly prayed? No, that's my question to you. When's the last time you ugly prayed? Mascara everywhere prayed. Head shaking prayer. We're so refined in our charismatic worlds. Mascara's going to run. Hallelujah. I remember we were dropping my oldest daughter off at her mission school. And it was a hard weekend. It was our first daughter. She's going off to a mission school. And we were feeling all kinds of emotions. I prayed in the spirit for 30 minutes. About right before we dropped her off. And I said, God, I got to hear from you. And I heard one phrase out of Psalm 56. I store your tears in my bottle. And in one moment, I saw four flashes of times that I had had ugly prayers for my daughter and her destiny. And in one supernatural moment, bang, 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 bang. I saw all these moments where I cried out for her destiny. And then the Lord whispered to me, Corey, I got her. I got her. And I've had peace on my life since July 15th. Which means I remember the day. I remember the moment. He's backing us into a corner and he is going to lay hold of us with the spirit of prayer. Can you put Genesis 32, 24 up here? Hallelujah. I walk you through tears. Tears for the harvest, tears for the lost. Jesus wipes away tears. Those who suffer in hell forever will weep forever. Genesis 32, 24. We'll just stay with this. You're like, man, this is intense. It's good. That's the phrase that laid hold of me for a month. Jacob was left alone. (laughs) What happens when God gets a man alone? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was Holy Ghost. That was Holy Ghost. I, <laughs> so interesting. The guy I run with in, in uh, Dallas. This would be a nice comic break. He got gripped so much with the spirit of travail. And he said, God, this is hurting my body. Can you, can you give me a manifestation that doesn't kill my body? And the Lord gave him whistling. <laughs> and so now whenever the spirit starts breaking in, he starts whistling. <laughs> so that made me think of that right there. I can't do it. <laughs> Do you know what's behind that verse? Jacob was left alone. It's his re-entry into the promised land. His re-entry back to the, to the land. Last time he was around these parts, he was stealing his brother's blessing. 21 years have passed. He ran out, got his wives, and the Lord calls him back in. And as he's coming back in, Report comes to him, Esau is coming after you with 400 trained men. Well, what does Jacob start doing? He starts taking his wives, his families, starts splitting them up into camps. And he's trying to send sacrifices to Esau to placate him so he won't come and hurt him. And around midnight, when everybody's gone, it's just Jacob. When Jacob is coming face to face with his greatest fears. When all of his deception, all of his lies, all of his putting on and masquerading and manipulating and working people over for his own mean, when it's all coming crashing in on him and Jacob was left alone, a man showed up. That man is Jesus. This was Jesus before we met Jesus. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Can you think about wrestling with somebody from midnight to 6 a.m.? They wrestled all night long. Anybody in here been in wrestles with Jesus? You've been in those midnight wrestles? And the grace on your life is the grace not to let go. Look at the next verse. It says that, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Next verse. And he said, this is what the Lord said to Jacob, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Which means now that I got you here, I got to get favor from God. Because if I don't get favor from God, I'm not going to make it out of this season. And he said, next verse. He says, what's your name? He said, Jacob, which means deceiver. He says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. I believe that there are midnight wrestles that are going to bring forth new identities. And then Jacob says, now that I got you here, what's your name? He says, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Which means, I think he showed him his face. 
Because the next verse, he says, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. That's what happens at the cross. You get stripped. And you get changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're spending a lot of time on the tears part. We could talk about tongues. Yes, I said it, tongues. The thing that the charismatics are most known for is the thing we do the least of. And praying in the Holy Spirit till it, the tongues till. They till the soil of the heart. And they get your soul man into the back seat. And it brings your spirit man to the front seat. We need to begin to till up the soil of our inner life. And I believe there's a travail that's coming. A 1 Samuel 1, Hannah travail is coming. Hannah's travail is coming to the church because God's going to break prophetic silence off the church. And he's going to break off the lack of the priestly ministry. The priesthood in many cases are in shambles. Much compromise. Eli won't deal with his compromising sons. Leniency on sin. Hannah is caught between a rock and a hard place. She's loved, but she's barren. And for years she ran from her pain. But she came to a breaking point and she began to weep. And she says, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And no razor shall touch his head. And he'll be set apart unto the Lord. And she was in such bitterness of soul in her prayers. Her lips were moving, but no words were coming out. Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. She goes, I'm not drunk. And it just shows that when the spirit of prayer comes on people, people who haven't been around it a long time will misinterpret it. When you get the spirit of prayer on you, there is a spirit of travail. There is a travail that bursts souls. And the travail will tear. It will tear wineskins. It's going to tear forth things. And God brought forth a young priest prophet, Samuel. And God restored the word of the Lord in one generation. And I believe he's restoring priesthood and prophetic in this hour. But we need some Hannahs to get a new prayer in their spirit. Amen. I want to ask for God. It's actually a biblical prayer. Can you put Jeremiah 9, 1 up here? And then I'm going to pray for you. Jesus. Oh, that my head were waters. There's, this is how you pray for the gift of tears. This is a biblical prayer for the gift of tears. Oh, that my head were waters. 
God's going to release tears for the nation of Israel. For God's purposes for the city of Jerusalem. Oh, that my heads were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. That I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He's going to release tears for the American church. He's going to release tears for our families. Tears for our marriages. Tears for our children. Tears for bodies. Tears for finances. God's going to break droughts. And there's going to be a a place of prayer. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like I'm moving out of it. I feel like I've been in this thing for seven years, but I feel like God's still saying, Corey, I want you to keep sowing this thing because I'm about to release it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's let's stand. Come on up, Maya. A lot of people don't know this. I I got in 2002. um, I had a guy come up to me in the prayer room. We were in trailers, just little trailers back then. And uh, he came up to me. He said, God's going to make you a watchman like Jeremiah. Well, the only verse I really knew in Jeremiah was the plans I have for you verse. The graduation card verse. And... uh, I'm like, man, I got to check this verse out. I got to check the book out. So I wake up the next morning and I open up the book of Jeremiah and I begin to weep uncontrollably. As I as I begin to read through the book and begin to see the similarities between Jeremiah's day and our day and the true prophetic call and the crisis of leadership and the prophetic controversy. What's God saying? Is he just saying peace or are we in an hour of judgment? And how do you discern what God's saying? And so. I wept uncontrollably for three days. And I came out of this season and I, and I literally was just consumed for 2002, three and four with the book of Jeremiah and the prophets. And I came out of this initial season and I looked at my wife, I go, honey, we got to have a baby and we're going to name him Jeremiah. <laughs> she goes, great. So we got pregnant shortly after. And I was for sure. I said, we're having Jeremiah. We're having Jeremiah, two ultrasounds. We couldn't tell Jeremiah, but I was still saying Jeremiah's coming. Well, March 4th, 2003 comes and out comes a girl. And I said, you know what? We're going to knock off Jera. Her name's Maya. <laughs> she loves that story. <laughs> I said, because that spirit is on this girl. I was born in the spirit. And and I believe God's marking a prophetic generation. He's restoring because this is what's on her life is this priestly prophetic call. She's my Samuel. God's going to restore authority on his voice again, on his word again. He's going to restore pure offerings in the priestly place. He's going to raise up worship leaders who care less about what deal they get. Anyway, I just let's just I just want to ask. Let's just open up our hands. I'm just going to ask for just that invasion of God into your life this season.
Thank you, God. Father, I thank you for Good News Church. I thank you for this people, God. I just, these are some of my favorite times of the year of being with these beautiful people. I know them by their face, but I don't know all of them, God. I just pray. You know every one of our stories. You know where some of us are at, like Mary and Martha and Jesus. It doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. Holy Spirit, I just invite your presence right now. I thank you that you're here. Manifest your presence. If you would say, there's several ministry things I could speak to. But some of you have felt that even the, uh, you've been in that divine delay. Like Mary and Martha, their brothers died, and you're in that place. And the temptation to withdraw your heart from the, from the, uh, from the tension. You're like, God, I want to pray, but God, so much, it's just, I don't know how to do life. I don't know how to live in this. If you would say that's where you've been, whatever the storyline is, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. We're like, Jesus, fix it. And he's like, son, daughter, I want you to feel it. Thank you, God. I just ask you to release your presence right now. You see those hands raised? Thank you, Jesus. Just blow across this room, Holy Spirit, right now.